tonight, we, uh, we began sign-ups and registration for our mission trips over the spring break. Uh, Guatemala, we, we started Guatemala sign-ups. I think actually right now there's a waiting list beginning for Guatemala, actually tonight, first night, um, that we're doing registration sign-ups. And we started Philadelphia sign-ups. Now, now, if you're in ninth or 10th grade, if you're ninth or 10th grade, uh, we're going to inner city Philadelphia over your spring break. Uh, in April, and then if you're in 11th, 12th grade, the trip is to Guatemala. Um, and so if you want to find out more information on how you can register, how you can sign up, see me, see Sandy Knapp, uh, see us tonight though, see us tonight, because you're going to want that information, that material tonight to take home. It's going to be an unbelievable trip. Some of you have gone before, right? And it was uh, amazing. God rocked your face off. It was unbelievable. Um, also, I wanted to say this, uh, just remind you, next Wednesday night, the 16th, um, we are actually having our uh, The Point Christmas party. It's a huge night around here, throwing a massive party for Jesus. Uh, tonight, bless you, tonight in your small groups, you're going to talk about your theme. You're going to talk about the, what you're doing. Remember, it's a competition. Every small group is going to be here doing a competition. It's going to be hilarious. For those of you that are not in a small group, you can still come and laugh at people. Um, it's, it's amazing, and uh, somebody, one small group at the end of the night, that night will win the coveted trophy that I think, uh, no, I know, Tracy Carrasquillo's group won last year, and as you can see, it's the highlight of their life, so you're going to want to be here next week. Let me pray, y'all, let me pray. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for tonight, thank you for all of these students Thank you for that incredible, incredible worship, Lord, and our friends that are visiting from Orlando, Lord, and pray your blessing on them. Thank you for their willingness to serve tonight and, and uh, Lord, to, to be with us tonight. We, we praise your name tonight. I ask you to speak to us in power, Lord. You speak to us through your word. You've spoken to us through your word. And, Lord, I pray that as we look at the Christmas story, it wouldn't be stale. It wouldn't be the same old thing, Lord. It's the greatest story that's ever been told. And so I pray that it would be fresh to us, Lord, move in our lives tonight through what you have to say to us. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Now, um, any Christmas uh, can't be Christmas without us actually singing a Christmas carol, I don't think. And so uh, tonight, I'm going to lead you in a Christmas carol. Uh, just so you know, though, a couple things. Sometimes I get up here and I make a complete fool out of myself, which is easy for me. But that's not the goal for tonight. Like I want us to be, uh, hopefully this will be absolutely serious and a time for us to uh, just kind of sing a praise chorus uh, together. Uh, the second thing I would tell you is I'm going to turn my microphone off uh, when we start singing it so that you are, uh, you know, not subjected to uh, torture. So um, I would, I would leave it on, but you guys would be all jealous because of my voice. Um, we're going to put, we're going to put the words to this song up here and I'm going to ask that you sing along with us. And I know what some of you dudes are sing, saying to yourself, you're thinking to yourself, I don't sing. Um, but we know the truth and God knows the truth that when you're, when you're in the shower, you're singing Taylor Swift songs. So <laughs> sing to Jesus cause he's worth it. You know what I'm saying? So let's go. Y'all ready? Here we go. Shh, shh. Ready? I'll start us off. Listen up. I'll start us off. We're going to sing together. I would say this. Listen, I would say this. If you're not going to sing, if you're not going to sing, just be reverent, be silent, and uh, think about the words. Okay? Let's go. One, two. Silent night.
Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Yeah, give it up, baby. Come on. All right. All right. All right, here we go. If you, uh, thank you, Travis. Thank you for, uh, thank you for being you, being special. Hey, if you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 2. Actually, Matthew chapter 1. Listen up, y'all. Shh, here we go. Matthew chapter 1, and uh, tonight, tonight the font is incredibly small on the back of your bulletin, and one reason it is, because I want to encourage you to uh, actually bring your Bible. So, uh, good luck, I'm reading that tonight. <laughs> Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 18. Now listen to me. I, I feel like I can be honest with you guys. Can I be honest with you guys? Can I? Okay, good. Then let me be honest with you and, and tell you this. I'm going to share with you something that uh, is... is uh, Honestly, I mean, I'm going to just be real, incredibly annoying to me. And here's, here's what's uh, annoying to me. Uh, one of the things is one of the stories that's been played and replayed and replayed and replayed and replayed over the years around this time of year in December um, is this. It's this story. It's that there are, uh, there are, there are groups of people and even leaders who, who want, to, uh, want to have a, what they would call a non-religious Christmas. So the thought is this. The thought is we want, to take any, we want to take any reference to the Bible, any biblical references uh, out of Christmas. So we want to remove biblical references from the songs. We want to re- remove biblical references from the decorations. We want to remove even biblical references from the literature. Because here's the thought. Listen. Listen, here's the thought. The thought is... We need a non-religious Christmas. We need to remove all those biblical um, narratives out of the, out of the Christmas uh, celebration because it may be offensive to some people. Okay, now, now let, me, let me share with you something. I want to be very clear on this. That platform, okay, that idea of we want a, quote, non-religious Christmas, take the biblical references out of Christmas, that platform, to me, is one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever heard. And let me tell you why. Let me explain why. Um, Here's the reason why, because um, it's an oxymoron. And I don't know if you know what an oxymoron is. Most of you do. I mean, an oxymoron is basically a contradiction in terms. It would be like me saying this. For me to make this statement, I want want a non-religious Christmas, I want to take the biblical references out of Christmas, would be like me saying, I want to take tasty goodness out of chocolate, right? I want to take heat out of fire. I want to take cruel and unusual punishment out of Hannah Montana music, right? That would be... The equivalent, it's an oxymoron. Like, here's the thing. Like, it doesn't work. Here's what I want you to see. Listen. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Okay? Now, now here's the thing. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that everybody has to celebrate Christmas. I'm not saying that. Okay? We're not some crazy, weird theocracy where we made everybody celebrate Christmas whether you like it or not. This is America. We don't do that kind of thing, thankfully. Okay? Here's what I'm saying. Here's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is this. You can't remove Jesus Christ from Christmas and still have Christmas. Okay? You, like you can't, you can't do it. It's impossible to do. Like his name is in it. So, so here's what you can do. 
You can create a new holiday. Like you can call it something different if you want. Call it Santamus. Call it Giftmus. Call it Festivus. Call it chestnuts roasting on an open firemus. Like you can, you can worship Greek mythology and call it Zeusmus if you want. Right? I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like I don't even care if you call it Picklemus or Hippopotamus. Like it doesn't matter to me. The point is this. The point is this. Listen, you can't take, you can't take Jesus out of Christmas and still have Christmas. It's, in, it's impossible. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Listen up. Um, what I want to do tonight, what I want to do tonight is I want to spend some time uh, drawing our focus back to like, the, like the, real, the real meaning of Christmas because we live in a day and age and a culture in which that can be really confused very easily because we live in a culture that tells us Christmas is about these things or Christmas is not about this list of things. So I want to take tonight to draw our focus to what Christmas is really, truly about. So tonight, I mean, this is what it is. It's, it's random thoughts on Christmas. And, and here's the thing. Here's what's crazy about tonight. Like, I don't know that there is a main central point to anything that I'm going to say tonight. I, I, I don't know that there's, I don't really even think there's a practical application to anything I'm going to talk about tonight. Here's what tonight is. Tonight is just exactly what it says. It is, it is my random thoughts on Christmas. Because what happens is every single year, let me tell you how this works for me. Every year, it seems like the Lord is constantly bringing me back to these stories. So like around December time, it seems like for, for whatever reason, I'm always drawn to Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2. Or I'm always drawn to Luke chapter 2. I'm always drawn to those scriptures that talk about the coming of Jesus. And here's what happens every single time, every single year. They always become new to me. They always become fresh to me. And it always seems like the Lord burns something new in my heart about these stories. And so check this out. Tonight, I'm just like going to share with you the things that God is teaching me through this scripture about the coming of Jesus Christ and the meaning and purpose of, of Christmas. So my random thoughts on Christmas. So start in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. We're going to take it from there. We're going to walk through this uh, together. Right on. Come on. Uh, so let's start right here in verse, in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Translation, this is the story of Christmas. Here we go. Um, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So we start off with this story, and in this story, we're starting off with a huge, massive problem if you're Joseph, okay? And here's the huge, massive problem. This dude, Joseph, is in love with Mary. He's committed to be married to Mary, okay? But here's the huge, massive uh, problem that ultimately Mary eventually shows up, and Mary basically says this, um, hey, Joseph, I've, I've got news for you. Okay, and here's the news for you. Um, check this out. Our wedding shower is actually going to be a baby shower too. We're going to kind of combine the two. Uh, but here's the good news. The good news is we can go ahead and tell everybody just to buy us blue clothing because I know that it's a boy. I know for a fact it's a boy. And here's how I know it's a boy, Joseph. Um, God sent his angel Gabriel to me. And Gabriel came to me and said, uh, what's up, girl? How you doing? Kind of. That's uh, the AIV, Anson International Version. Um, he said, hey, girl, um, I got news for you. And, and here's the news for you, that you are going to have, you, a 14-year-old girl, peasant girl, you're going to have God's baby. 
Okay, so check this out. Y'all like, she was 14? Yeah, probably. Isn't that weird? Um, listen, here, here's... And so the Bible says this. Listen, y'all. The Bible says that Joseph decides, you know what? Uh, yeah, this ain't going to happen. I'm calling this thing off. And any guy in here knows, if, if you're a guy in here, you like me are probably thinking this. Uh, Joseph, not only is he probably really upset about the fact that this uh, woman who he is committed to be married to, engaged in our terminology, uh, not only is she pregnant, but he's also probably thinking to himself too, this chick is crazy. So like I, I, I'm putting her aside, I'm breaking this off because not only did I just get played and she's now pregnant and I know I'm not the baby daddy, but now she's lost her mind and she's saying, God did this, right? Like that's weird, that's creepy, it's different and I'm done, I'm done. And so the Bible says that Joseph decides to break off the wedding, which, by the way, would have been a big deal in Jewish culture. See, it's not, in, in Jewish culture, it's not as simple as going, hey, what's up, give me that ring back. No, it was like a, it was a huge deal. As a matter of fact, it would have been probably as uh, intense as actually a formal divorce because for them, they weren't just engaged. They were what we call betrothed. They were committed to one another, and everybody, everybody knew it. So, so here's the deal. I can almost see how this is playing out in heaven. Get this. You can almost see this playing out in heaven that the angel runs up to the Lord, runs up to God, and goes, God, we got a problem. we got a problem. God's like, what's the problem? Well, well you, you, God, do you know how Mary is pregnant with Jesus? Well, that's a dumb question. You're God. Of course, you know Mary's pregnant with Jesus. Uh, well, here's, here's the problem. Joseph knows now, and Joseph wants to divorce her. He doesn't want to marry her. He wants to call off the marriage. And God's like, I thought you said we had a problem. Well, we do have a problem. That's a problem. That's not a problem. Because here's what, here's what I'll do. I'll just give that fool a dream and freak him out. Because that's how God works. He's absolutely in control of all things. And so look at what he does. This is awesome. Uh, verse 20. But after he had considered this, after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Listen, the virgin, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And let me be clear on this, okay? Y'all listen up. Um, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, um, I absolutely believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that Mary was a virgin when she had Jesus. And I know that word's not used a lot in our culture, so let me explain the definition of virgin. Um, it means that you've never had sex before, okay? So I believe that Mary was a virgin when she was pregnant with Jesus and when she ultimately delivered Jesus. Now, here's what trips me out. Here's the funny thing, and I always find this funny. When someone, and this happens a lot in our culture, when someone will say to me or someone will say to another Christian, I can't believe that you actually subscribe to that idea. I can't believe you actually think, you actually believe with all your heart that a virgin got pregnant and had Jesus. Do you really believe that? I can't believe you think that. And I'm like, well, why can't, why can't you believe that? And they say, well, because, because that's impossible. Yes. You are correct, sir. Yes, congratulations. You're right. See, see, that's why we call it a miracle. See, see, if it was possible, it wouldn't be a miracle. 
Right? It's not possible, therefore it's a miracle. But here's the ironic thing. The same people, many of the same people who would say, um, I, I can't believe that a virgin would have a baby because that's unexplainable. The same people who would say that would say this. If I asked them, hey, how do you believe the universe came into existence? They would say this. Okay, well, let me tell you my theory. Uh, my theory is this. You ready for this? Okay, check this out. Clear your brain because it's going to blow your mind. Okay, my, my theory is this. There was nothing. There was nothing. And then one day, there was something. Okay, okay what was the something? It was a particle. It was... A, what kind of particle? It was a, it was a particle of, of mass. Okay, go on. And it was really dense. It was this really dense particle of mass. I thought you said there was nothing. It was nothing, but there was something one day, the particle of mass. And then the particle of mass was there. And it was just kind of a particle. Just floating around in the nothing. Thought it was nothing. It was nothing, but it was there. And, and then one day... One day it was just like kind of hanging and BAM! And then, listen, and then, and then, check this out, it ain't even done yet. And then, check this out. So you had nothing, then you had the particle of mass, and you had a boom, and then you was like, ta-da! And then you had, listen, and then you had the everything, listen, and then you had the everything, but, but here's what happened. But here's what happened. On, on this planet, on this world, there was like, it was just like this, all this primordial bubbly soup stuff, and it was like all this toxic junk, and well, what happened? Well, it was just there, and then there was like these, there were like these cells. where the cells come from? The cells came from, the blam, and there were these cells, and all of a sudden, one day, the cells kind of started coming together, and Woo, sales coming together. And then he's like, uh, you f and, th and then check this out. And then listen, and then listen, fast forward, listen, fast forward trillions of years, and you know what you get? What's up? <laughs> a blonde football fan with a faux hawk, okay? That's what you get, okay? So listen, um, so here's what's ironic. The same people who would say, I can't believe in the virgin birth because it's unexplainable, would say that that's what they believe. Here's all I'm saying. Listen, here's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is this. Uh, be very careful when you judge me for believing something that's unexplainable, and maybe you should take a time out and look in the mirror. And by the way, I would also say this. Uh, what I believe is actually founded on Scripture, the Bible. And not only that, it's also founded on 700 years of prophecy. Because in Isaiah chapter 7, uh, verse 14, Isaiah actually prophesied that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Okay? So as a Christian, I believe that a virgin miraculously gave birth to Jesus it was of the Holy Spirit. Check this out. Go on. Go on. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to his son and he gave him the name Jesus. So in other words, uh, Joseph says, okay, I believe God. He marries uh, Mary. He gets married to her, um, but he doesn't know her in the biblical term of knowing her until after Jesus is born. And then after Jesus is born, apparently he knew her quite a few times, biblically speaking, because according to the Bible, he had at least six half-brothers, half-sisters, maybe even more. Okay, so um, let's go on. Uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Look at what this says. 
after Jesus, here's where it gets trippy. I mean, if a virgin birth is enough for you to go, ah! right, like this will, this will. Chapter 2, verse 1, look at this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now listen, um, here's where this story gets trippy. It says, after Jesus, by the way, uh, just so you know, this is about one year, um, at least one year after Jesus was actually born. So like those little nativity scenes you see where like the three wise men show up on the night that Jesus was born. No, it's wrong. They're lying to you. Um, and also there weren't just three. That's legend. There could have been even more. Some think maybe even dozens. Um, but here's what happens. The Bible tells us this, that one day, but a year after Jesus is born, these wise men, these magi, that word magi means that they were either uh, astrologers or studiers, people who studied sacred writings or even interpreters of dreams. They were these mystics from the east, okay? They weren't even Jews. These people come all the way from the east to Jerusalem, probably miles and miles and miles away. Some think they might have traveled for even months. They show up in Jerusalem, and here's the thing that they say. Here, here's what they say. They say, um, listen, uh, Y'all listen, uh, we got a question for you. Where's your king? Where is the king who was born? Where's the one who was just born king of the Jews? Because we were back east and we saw the star and we know that he's been born. And the people in Jerusalem were like, dude, what's up? What are you talking about? Okay, we got a king, King Herod. Like you're talking about King Herod? And he's like, no, 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 listen. Where is the one who was born? We saw the star. We know that a king has been born. We came miles all the way here. And then they say this trippy phrase. This comes out of their mouth. They say this, listen. They say, we have come. Listen, they say, we have come. To worship him. So they traveled miles and miles and miles to worship Jesus. Now listen students, don't miss this. Don't miss this. The point of Christmas is to worship Jesus. That's the point. The point of Christmas is to worship Jesus, to acknowledge the fact that Jesus is the Savior. Now, here's the thing. We live in a world and a culture where we'll, we'll hear all kinds of things about what Christmas is all about, what the point of Christmas is. But let me tell you, like the point of Christmas, guys, the point of Christmas is not uh, gifts. The point of Christmas is not family. The point of Christmas is not eggnog. The point of Christmas is not Jack Frost nipping at your nose, which sounds like a horror film to me, Right? <laughs> The point of Christmas is not the mall. The point of Christmas is not Santa Claus. None of those things are necessarily bad. Listen, they're just not the point of Christmas. Here's what's crazy. You need to beware, guys. You need to be very careful because we, um, in our culture, we'll hear this, that Christmas, the point of Christmas is Christmas. In other words, the point of Christmas is the way that Christmas makes you feel, Right? You walk into the mall, you get the chill bumps because the holly's up, right? And the sale's going on at Abercrombie. You're like, oh, right? Like, like the point of Christmas is those things. The point of Christmas is, is family. It's being around family. No, that's a good thing, but that's not the point of Christmas. The point of Christmas is the, those stupid Lifetime movies. Somebody just, oh, who watches those? You should be locked up, right? But listen, <laughs> I can't believe you guys. Oh. We will hear all kinds of things in our world about what the point of Christmas is. Y'all listen. Let me tell you this. The point of Christmas is Jesus. And how, how sad, I mean, how sad is this that we can go the entire season without really pausing, getting away, 
and honestly, with all of our hearts, worshiping Jesus. So, so think about this. Uh, God gives his one and only son to us to live a perfect life for us, to die a bloody, horrible death on a cross for us so that if we trust in him as our savior, that we will be saved, we will be spared from hell, we will have eternal life in heaven with him forever and a full life here on this earth with hope and peace and gladness. And so God does that. But we don't stop to worship him, we'd rather be shopping. I mean, how sad is that? How tragic is that? How tragic is that? And then look at what, look at what happens Look at verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. So when he hears that there's a king that's been born and these guys came to see him and worship him, he was disturbed. It says, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So the king doesn't even know. So the king gets all the people who have actually read the Bible and know the Bible together. And he says, dude, what do you know about this? Where is the Savior? Where is Jesus? Where is the Christ going to be born? And the guys were like, yeah, dude, you know what? Actually, the prophet, specifically Micah, actually pointed to a day like this. And he said that the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, was going to be born in Bethlehem. So if you want to find the Messiah, look in Bethlehem, which has always been interesting to me because that word Bethlehem literally means house of bread. And some 30 years later, uh, Jesus would actually stand in front of a crowd of people. I believe it's in John chapter 6 and declare to them, I am the bread of life. So the bread of life was born in the house of bread. That's what I'm talking about. Let's go on. Verse 9. Right, verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And just so you know, Herod is a big fat liar. He's a liar. He doesn't want to worship him. Now, now here's what we know about Herod. Listen to me. Let, let, let's think about this because this is important. Um, Here's what we know about Herod. Here are some of the accomplishments of Herod the Great, King Herod, who's in charge right now. Some of his historic accomplishments are these. Uh, he killed his own mother-in-law. He murdered his own wife. He actually murdered three of his own sons. Matter of fact, you know what? You can go to the Gwinnett County Public Library right now and you can check out a book by a first century Jewish historian named Josephus. And Josephus writes about Herod the Great in that book. And here's one of the things he says, that when Herod the Great was on his deathbed, when he was dying, he had all the Jewish leaders locked up. And then he called his sister into him and here's the instructions he gave to his sister. He said, on the day that I die, on the day that I die, all of those Jewish leaders that I just locked up, I want you to have them massacred. I want you to slaughter them. And here's the reason why. Herod the Great was such a horrible, evil, wicked man. He was actually freaked out that on the day he died, everybody in Israel was going to throw a party. So he said, I want to make sure that everybody in Israel is sad and their hearts are broken and they're mourning on the day that I die. So on the day I die, kill all of these Jewish leaders I've locked up and I'm going to make sure that people are crying. He's a good guy, right? Here, here's the point. Here's the point, y'all. Listen, um, King Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He was lying to these guys. He wanted to find out where Jesus had been born. He wanted to find out who Jesus is so that he could murder Jesus. 
Because Herod, um, was, his lust was for his power and he'd rather have power than a savior because power was his idol. And then check out what happens next. Um, verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. This trips me out. According to the scripture, what we're led to believe is this. At some point, they had lost sight of this star. They came to Jerusalem. They had lost sight of this star. And when they leave the place, they see the star again. And we're told that that star actually leads them to Bethlehem. It goes before them. So check this out. They're walking down this road. There's a star. They're like, ah, it's a star. And the star is going before them. Wah, 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 wah. And the star actually leads them to Bethlehem. Wah, 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 wah. And according to this scripture, it stops. Look, it says, on coming to the house, which by the way, again, the house, it wasn't a stable at this point. It was a year later. The house, they had a house in Bethlehem. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Listen, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now listen. Now look at me, listen. Um, here's what blows my mind about this story. One of the things. These guys show up, they find Jesus, and two things happen. One, they worship him. Two, they give gifts, they give gifts to him. Okay, now check this out. Um, I wonder sometimes if the gifts that they gave to Jesus on that day um, seemed a little bit weird. So, so Mary, Mary is sitting there with the baby and these wise men come in with these gifts. And I wonder if those gifts seemed weird to her until maybe years later after Jesus Christ was crucified and, and resurrected. And maybe, they, maybe it clicked. Maybe she looked back and it made sense. Here's why. Because one of the gifts they brought was gold. And gold was a gift for royalty. Gold was symbolic of royalty. And Jesus is the king of kings, and one of the gifts that they brought was frankincense, incense, and incense was what the priests burned uh, as an act of worship in the temple when they worshiped God. And so, frankincense would have been a sign, a symbol of Jesus' divinity that Jesus is God. But I wonder if maybe Mary looked at the myrrh and said, What's up with the myrrh? Thank you. Thank you for myrrh. Because here's the reason why myrrh was actually used to embalm dead bodies in the ancient world. And I wonder maybe if years later, Mary looked back and it all clicked when she realized that her son had been crucified on a cross, myrrh representing his humanity, the fact that Jesus Christ would be betrayed at the hands of men, suffer at the hands of men, and die on a Roman cross. And then here's what strikes me, guys. Listen, just a side note. I find it interesting that on the very first Christmas, on the very fir first Christmas, um, it wasn't about us getting gifts, it was about us giving gifts to Jesus. I find that very interesting. And something's happened over the past 2,000 years where we've made it less about Jesus and more about us. So here's what happens. No longer, or very rarely, during the Christmas season do we actually ask this question, Jesus, what do you want? But instead, what often happens is we go uh, see a big, fat, jolly man in a red suit at the mall so that he can look at us and say, what do you want? And I'm not against Santa, and I'm not against gifts. I just find it interesting that we've made it so much less about Jesus and so much more about us when on the very first Christmas it was about giving gifts, presenting gifts to Jesus, okay? Let's finish up here. Look at what it says. Verse 12, 
And by the way, or actually verse 13. I mean, you want to talk about disturbing. I mean, you read this scripture in, in a serious mindset. Verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Are you kidding me? So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I I called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, and then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I mean, you want to talk about sick and disturbing. Herod is threatened because a baby boy has been born in Bethlehem, and so feeling threatened sends an army of men to Bethlehem to murder, to massacre every single baby, baby boy, who was two years old and under. Have you ever thought about how bloody the Christmas story is? Bible scholars actually call these babies that died, they actually call them the proto-martyrs, which also means the first witnesses. And the reason they call them that is because these are the first people in the Bible that we see who actually died for Jesus. These little babies. Now listen, um, here's what gives me a headache every time I think about it. Okay. Every time I think about it, this blows my mind that, that, that Herod is an evil, wicked, slimeball of a king. He seems heartless. He seems like he has no conscience. He seems like he could care less about what happens to anyone other than him. And yet, listen, and yet God allows him to be king. Which if you care at all, you, it would force you to ask this question, Why? Why would God allow a horrible man like that to be king? The only answer we can possibly fathom from the Bible is that God has a bigger plan. Now listen, listen to me because here's where we're going. Um, I think God wants us to learn something from this. As a pastor, check this out. As a pastor, you know what, not, not even as a pastor, like as a human being, I hear people ask this question a lot. Or people make a statement like this, a statement like this a lot. And the statement kind of goes like this. Um, I can't possibly, I cannot possibly believe in a God who would allow evil and suffering. I can't believe in a God like that. I can't. And let me, let me tell you this. We, we could spend a long time tonight talking about evil and suffering. Like we really could. Like, like we could spend a long time even talking about that statement right there and, and, and talking about this, that when I make a statement like that, I mean, think about this. When I make a statement like that, I can't possibly believe in a God who would allow evil and suffering. When I make that statement, I'm assuming something huge. And what I'm assuming is this. I'm assuming that I'm not evil. When the Bible says I am evil. 
And the Bible says that all of us are evil. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. I mean, the Bible is clear on this. Every single one of us are evil. So when I make a statement like that, I can't possibly believe in a God who would allow evil and suffering. What I'm really saying is I can't possibly believe in a God who would allow me to live. I mean, we could talk about that, but here's, here's the thing that I know. Here's what I know. I mean, I've done this for a long time now, and I, I realize this. No matter how much I talk about evil and suffering right now, it's not going to be enough to satisfy probably even most of you, much less all of you. So I'm like not even going to go there. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to make an observation. Because here's what we forget. So we make statements like that. I can't, why does God allow evil and suffering? What we forget is this. And this is what the Christmas story is really about. God allowed his son to be born into a world, the same world of evil and suffering that we complain about. As a matter of fact, God allowed his son to be born right in the middle of it. So, so think about this. Think about this. Um, that, think about the Christmas story. That God's son Jesus is born in a manger in filth around animals because there's no room in the inn. So he's born outside in filth in a manger Not only that, um, but he's born to actually a dirt poor family and not even a year into his life, he's being smuggled hundreds of miles away from his home because one of the most powerful men on the face of the planet wants him dead. So don't tell me, listen, don't tell me that God doesn't understand suffering and that Jesus isn't familiar with suffering because the truth is that Jesus Christ is familiar with suffering. You know what? The story actually ends by telling us this, that, that actually uh, Joseph had a dream to go back to Israel. He goes back to Israel, and guess what? They got a huge problem because now Herod's son, Archelaus, is in charge. And Archelaus was almost as, he's probably worse than his dad. We know this about Archelaus. History tells us that on the, first, on the day that he assumed the throne, shortly after he assumed the throne, he had 3,000 people slaughtered just because he could. And so here's the point. Joseph and Mary are scrambling in fear for the life of their baby boy who was born in the middle of suffering. And 700 years before, Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah 53.3. He said that the Messiah, the Messiah, the Christ, would be a man of sorrows familiar with suffering. So students, one of the things that sticks out to me about this Christmas story is that Jesus Christ is familiar with our suffering. But let me tell you what's dangerous. Let me tell you what's dangerous. Listen to me. Um, For some of us, that's the only image that we think about during Christmas time. Right? The overwhelming image that we're stuck with is um, baby Jesus. In a manger, baby Jesus. And yes, Jesus Christ was born in a manger, baby Jesus. This is the Christmas story, born into suffering. But you need to understand, students, um, that Jesus did not stay in the manger. Okay? So the Bible tells us this. Listen, and then we're done. Jesus goes on, grows up, lives a perfect life, is betrayed by one of his closest friends, is beaten, is spit on, is cussed at. He is nailed to a Roman cross, nine-inch nails through his hands and his feet, a crown of thorns pierced into his skull, a spear thrust into his side, tortured, dies on a cross for us thrown into a tomb, three days later comes out of the tomb, proving that he's the Messiah, proving that he is the Son of God. 
He ascends into heaven. He's high and exalted. And right now, he's reigning over the universe. And here's what trips me out about the Christmas story. Here's what I want to leave you with, okay? The very first image of Jesus we're given in the New Testament is the story that I just read to you. That's the very first description of Jesus we're given, okay? And then you fast forward, and here's the very last description of Jesus we're given in the New Testament. Let me read you this out of Revelation 19. Because I hope that during this Christmas time, you won't only think about baby Jesus in the manger, but you will think about this Jesus, high and exalted, lifted up, glorified. The Bible tells us that John had a vision of things to come, and here's what he saw. Here's the final description we have of Jesus. You ready? You ready? If you're a guy, you're going to like this. If you're a guy grunting here right now, go, Ugh. Listen, I'm telling you, listen. Listen to what he says. I saw heaven. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen and white and clean out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations he will rule them with an iron scepter he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God almighty on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written king of kings and lord of lords now listen to me because listen I'm going to tell you I'm just going to tell you, dude, um, for years, for years, for years, for years, I have been trying to talk my wife into letting me make that description of Jesus our decoration for Christmas in the front yard. I want that one. I'm not even playing. I'm not even playing. One Christmas, that's what I'm going to do. One Christmas, y'all can drive by my house and you can see a big, giant, white horse with a big statue of Jesus on it and a robe that's been dipped in somebody's blood and eyes that are on fire and a sword coming out of his mouth with an iron scepter in his hand and a tattoo down his leg that says, King of Kings. And I want children to walk by it and scream. Y'all think I'm, that was not a joke. That, listen, listen students, don't get, don't get, don't get so overwhelmed by the pictures and images of Jesus this Christmas as a baby that you forget that Jesus right now is high and exalted and glorified and reigning over the universe. And so here's what I did um, in honor, it's just some thoughts on Christmas and in honor of this image of Jesus, I wrote a new song. And we're going to close with this. I'm going to sing it to you. I call it the new silent night. Quiet, please. <coughs> Hold on. White horse, white robe, Dipped in blood, manly stud, <laughs> so 
comes out of his mouth so fast, <laughs> making war on sin and death. Couldn't find a rhyme. <laughs> Eyes of flames and tattoo. Satan, he's gonna kill you. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus. Jesus. Um, we can have a laugh at this, but it is no, it is no laughing matter, Lord, that that is, what, that is what John saw. He saw Jesus Christ not just in a manger. We thank, that you, we thank you that you were born in a manger. We thank you that you're familiar with our suffering. We thank you that even in your first year of life, Lord Jesus, it was difficult, it was hard, you suffered. You suffered more that first year of life than many of us suffer our entire lives. You had a king who wanted you dead. Yet, Lord, in your sovereignty, Lord, you weren't, you weren't killed. We thank you that ultimately you died on the cross for us. We thank you that you didn't stay dead. You rose from the grave. And right now, Jesus, the truth is that you are high and exalted. You are high and lifted up. You are reigning over the universe. That image is true. Lord, thank you that you, you, are, you, you are called true and faithful. Lord, the hope that we have Christmas is Jesus. And I pray for those in this room, Lord, who tonight haven't really listened to this, haven't really been real interested because the fact is they don't know you. They don't know you as Savior. They don't have a relationship with you. And I pray that you would show them that you are a God of love. You are a God who's calling them to you. They would place their faith and their trust in you alone as Savior. Because if they don't, there is wrath to come. And so I pray for them, Lord. I pray that they would place their faith in you. And I pray for those of us who do know you. That you would draw us closer to you this Christmas season. That we would not ignore you. That the point of Christmas would not be the mall. Would not be all these other peripheral things. The point of Christmas would be Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. Lord, your word says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, which means that one day King Herod's knee will bow. One day the wise men will bow again. One day I will bow. One day these students, every single one of them and these adults will bow and we will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and we will either do it willingly and rejoicing or we'll do it unwillingly, with a broken heart and grieved. And I pray for those in this room who do not know you, that tonight would be the night where they open up their hearts and say, Jesus, would you save me? I believe, I believe. So that they might experience what Christmas is truly meant to be, an opportunity to worship you and an opportunity to tell others around us what Christmas is actually about. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus and it will always be about Jesus. I love you. Thank you for these students. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Listen, if you're new here tonight, we're going to buy you a Starbucks, whatever drink you want. So if you're new here tonight, let me see you. Brand new people. If you're new here tonight, this is your first time, y'all come see me right now. We're going to buy you a Starbucks drink, whatever you want. 
The rest of you, go immediately to small group. No hanging out in the lobby. Go immediately to small group. If you're new, come see me.
know what you are. Say it. Spider-Man. Try again. Vampire. Say it. Vampire! Shh! In my hair! Come on, go! I love Bella more than you do. You won't like me when I'm angry. Quick.